0: Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. In this week's edition, a look at the threat the Delta variant is posing to all of us. This coronavirus is extremely sneaky in the words of experts, and it may not be the last one we deal with.
1: So initially we started out the pandemic with the Alpha variant. And here we are uh, months later with the Delta variant. So this is going to continue essentially as the virus enters new um, uh, patients throughout the world.
0: Meteorologist Erica Delgado has that story. Plus, America's west coast is bone dry, extremely hot and burning up. Will there be any relief once winter arrives?
2: In the future, we can expect that that snow season, that winter season will shorten. And so that means that the West will get less of their water supply from the snow melt when we move into the spring season.
0: It will go from bad to worse. And meteorologist Jessica Fernandez looks into this hot issue. That's all next on Weather or Not. A record storm season during a pandemic made 2020 unforgettable. This year, count on the 7 weather team once again to do what we do best. Keep you safe. The latest alerts, the best coverage. That's why we're the Storm Station 7 News. It seems we've been dealing with COVID for what seems like forever. The Delta variant, one of a handful, is taking a toll on the unvaccinated community. Meteorologist Erica Delgado chats with an expert who tells us this battle is long from over.
3: Coronavirus, pandemic, COVID 19, lockdown, personal protective equipment, also referred to as PPE. Before 2020, these were all terms that many of us were not too familiar with. But fast forward a year and a half later, now in 2021, many around the world have become all too familiar with these words and their everyday use. COVID-19 is an ongoing global issue taking the lives of so many and affecting the lives of all. And although for the first time since it all started, there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel with the emergency use authorization of a vaccine. Now a more dangerous Delta variant is making it difficult to actually reach that light at the end of the tunnel. So when will the world finally begin to see an end to all of this? And more importantly, will we ever see that light at the end of the tunnel? I had the opportunity to speak with a healthcare professional in the front line of it all, who helps us understand why new variants continue to develop and shed some light on what he is actually seeing in the hospitals during these COVID surges. Take a listen. Okay, well, joining me today is Dr. Abid Shadri, Medical Director in the Critical Care and Emergency Department at Carrollty Hospital, formerly known as the Westchester General Hospital here in South Florida. Dr. Shadri, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today.
1: Good morning, Erica. Thank you for having me.
3: We have been in the middle of a pandemic for over a year and a half now, and just when many thought things were finally on the upswing, the Delta variant has proven otherwise. Can you tell us if and how the variant that is quickly spreading now around the world, which many of us know as the Delta variant, is different from what we were dealing with this time last year?
1: Well, definitely. I mean, we have been, uh, going through this pandemic now for over a year. Um, And, you know, just a little background on viruses. So this is their modus operandi, essentially. The viruses, once they enter a human being and they acquire the genetic information, as they go through others, they uh, basically start becoming a little sneaky. They use that genetic information and become smarter, become efficient, and hence there are new variants that arise. So initially we started out the pandemic with the alpha variant, and here we are uh, months later with the Delta variant. So this is going to continue essentially as the virus enters new um, uh, patients throughout the world, and we will see uh, unfortunately other variants Uh, in the near future. So yes, this will continue. And this is the, apparently this delta virus, so there's still a lot of research going on uh, as to why this is a little different. Um, You know, they're they're trying to figure out, the scientists are trying to figure out whether it is easier to enter the the body or whether it uh, uses other you know, proteins that it has developed that makes it a little more sticky, so it's more adherent to uh, the human cells. But there is definitely, definitely a difference between the alpha variant and the uh, delta variant.
3: Right. As you just mentioned, they're trying to doing more research on it and they're trying to see, I guess, if it is more contagious than the original, the alpha variant, as you mentioned, when we first started with all this. Based on what you're seeing in the hospital, do you feel it's more dangerous than the first one we were dealing with?
1: So, you know, to answer that question, um, it is definitely, due to the fact that it has mutated, it is definitely more contagious. Uh, As we know, the usually what we uh, categorize uh, contagious as how many individuals, once uh, someone has uh, contracted the, uh, the virus, how many other individuals will it go through before uh, it stops that cycle? So at this point, the Delta variant is up to eight uh, individuals once one, someone has contracted it, <clears throat> which makes it extremely, extremely contagious, uh, the Alpha variant, uh, approximately two individuals. So this makes it much more dangerous. Now, dangerous per se, there's still research uh, going on. So just the mere fact that it can be contagious to eight individuals, that alone is the danger.
3: And now that you're mentioning about infected individuals, last year when we first started with you know the original variant of COVID here in, in the States, it was affecting people of all ages, but we saw that our older population and those with underlying health issues were extra sensitive to this. But as you do your rounds this time um, at the hospital, are you seeing this to be the case again with a similar demographic, or is the Delta variant proven to be a little different in that case?
1: You know, uh, you're absolutely right. Previously, the elderly uh, population and those with uh, Uh, Underlying diseases uh, were uh, more prone to uh, getting the disease and being hospitalized. Uh, But over the last uh, few weeks uh, and months, we've noted uh, an uptick of patients that are in the younger demographic, the 30s, the 40s, and some, unfortunately, with no underlying disease. And that is very unfortunate. However, the, you know, classically, the population that is still in danger of uh, contracting disease and being hospitalized are the elderly and with the underlying disease. Yes.
3: And what about as far as younger demographic, um, teenagers, even um, kids? I've heard that maybe this is now beginning to affect kids just a little more than it was the first time around.
1: Yes. Have you seen Uh, that? I have actually. Uh, So we've had a younger demographic, even in the teens, you know, fortunately, they are not a large subset of that group. Uh, However, uh, you know, there has been an increased uptick, uh, unfortunately. So this, you know, this virus is going to continue, unfortunately, and the variants may change that it may even affect even a younger uh, population even adolescents, unfortunately. So, you know, the vaccine, as we develop uh, more uh, research and and get deeper into the vaccine uh, development phase, uh, I I believe we're definitely gonna have to uh, vaccinate every single individual.
3: Yeah, and maybe, uh, I mean, there may be some tweaking along the way. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the vaccine. It's been readily available to the public for four or five months, depending on what age demographic or group you were in. Given where we are now, the start of August 2021, I've been hearing, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, that, you know, the pandemic has now become a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Can you attest to that, or are you seeing both vaccinated and unvaccinated people hospitalized with COVID right now?
1: So, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a true slogan. This pandemic is definitely uh, a uh, pandemic of the unvaccinated at this point a year ago. Uh, this was a pandemic for all. Uh, and now uh, the, the large subset uh, of individuals contracting the, the virus are uh, individuals who are unvaccinated. And the, the, the more alarming numbers are that the larger subset of individuals that are being hospitalized are unvaccinated you know, throughout our, uh, throughout Miami-Dade and Broward County, we've seen a, 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 throughout the hospital systems, more than 90% of individuals that are hospitalized are unvaccinated.
3: Wow. I mean, you know, we're definitely hearing that. And, you know, you obviously everyone knows someone that has been infected with COVID since this started. And you hear since day one, you heard, you know, person A would get, you know, maybe symptoms one and two, but then person B would get three and four, and then maybe a person C would get, you know, five and six. And I feel like symptoms have been all over the place. What are some of the more severe symptoms that you've seen in your patients at the hospital that are hospitalized and unvaccinated?
1: You know, there's no rule to symptoms, uh, unfortunately. Uh, and that's what makes it a little more unpredictable and and as a matter of fact, that's actually what makes it more a little more dangerous. Uh, some individuals have slight headaches, stuffy nose, and they feel like they don't have the classic symptoms of uh, the virus, so they're less likely to take precautions and spread it to uh, others and family members or coworkers. So there is a gamut of symptoms. Uh, you know, classically, the the more that we've seen that are hospitalized are the shortness of breath. That is what really brings them to the hospital. The individuals with the minor headaches and and the stuffy nose and the runny nose and the body aches, they're generally staying home until they start feeling that shortness of breath. So it's more respiratory than anything that brings them to the hospital.
3: Right. Of course. The past few months, you know, we heard it around the world. And of course, now here in the States, everything is about this Delta variant. And you talked about the different variants, how we began with the Alpha. But I've also heard talk of the Lambda variant. What do you see in the future as far as these variants and and how we will continue to go back to our lives and how we'll have to deal with COVID from here on out?
1: You know, viruses are here to stay. They're, they're, Unfortunately, they're not going anywhere. The only way that the medical community is gonna get ahead of this is to have individuals vaccinated, you know, worldwide. It is the only way that we're gonna control the situation. And, you know, whether, and this is the misnomer that everyone thinks that just because you get vaccinated, you will not contract the virus. That is not true. You have the ability, the potential to contract the virus. However, the the issue at hand is that if you are vaccinated, you are 90 to 98% less chance of being hospitalized and dying. I mean, those numbers are, they're unbelievable. Uh, If if that alone does not force people to get vaccinated, I don't know uh, what will. Uh, that is the absolutely only way to get ahead of this virus. And, you know, to talk about the future, you're absolutely right. We're, this is going to be a part of our lives. We, we just have to take a little more precautions, educate ourselves a little more on how not to spread uh, viruses in general, microbes in general, washing our hands uh, on a regular basis, you know, wearing a mask in an environment where you you feel like there are individuals that have symptoms you know this is it's not going away unfortunately and uh, I think the sooner we accept that fact the more precautions we will take and we will start going on with our lives and on the flu you know flu virus has existed for many 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 years you know and and it's unfortunate we don't even talk about flu it's been so readily accepted in our community and this is for the same reason that once you know you experience something as as a pandemic you know you're going to go through the lows and this is going to be around for a few years and as people become a little more educated they will vaccinate themselves they will avoid the dangers And uh, hopefully in the near future, COVID virus will be another flu for us.
3: You know, something you just mentioned, and I I just kind of want to reiterate, just I want to make sure you said up to 98, getting the vaccine lowers your risk of possibly dying up to 98%, is that correct?
1: Yes, yes, it is a, it's a number that has to be, you know, etched in our minds. Um, And I see it on a daily basis, Every day, the individuals that are dying, unfortunately, getting on ventilators are unvaccinated. And every single family members, when I talk to them, you know, they, they just keep reiterating that they should have been vaccinated. They should have been vaccinated. And unfortunately, it's too late at that point.
3: Being a doctor, you've heard this, you know, those who feel strongly for, and there's also people who feel so strongly against the vaccine, you know, some feel that maybe it was, developed too quickly and really hasn't been approved by the FDA just yet with adequate human trials. And then some considered a miracle vaccine being in the medical field and based on what you're seeing day in and day out, what would you say to both sides?
1: You know, there's a lot of naysayers uh, that uh, that don't believe in this vaccine. And, you know, all I can tell you is that as a physician, uh, a frontline worker, we're exposed on a daily basis uh, to individuals that are extremely ill, that have a very high viral load. And if in a hospital setting, we barely, barely have any individuals that have been admitted or, or co-workers that have been admitted to the hospital, that, that's, a, that's a statement. And you know, for all healthcare workers who have been vaccinated and who encourage vaccinating their family members, uh, that alone should let people know that if we're not worried, why are you worried about the vaccine? You know, it, it's very important. People should really learn from each other, uh, especially healthcare workers. We are in the front lines, and we're encouraging. Uh, we're you know, every single day encouraging individuals to get the vaccine, there is a reason for that. There is no hidden agenda. I need individuals who who have that thought process to really look deep and say, people are actually dying. Um, You know, it's it's a simple shot in the arm that will save your life.
3: Yeah, well, I'm hoping, you know, talking with you today will really um, put many at ease about whether or not to get the vaccine, and they will just go and get it and and possibly save their own lives and maybe the lives of their family members. Dr. Shadri, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about something that obviously has forever changed the lives of everyone in the world and something we continue to learn to live with day in and day out now. And of course, thank you for everything you do to help save people's lives. Please take care of yourself.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on and uh... Keep up the good work and good luck on the podcast.
3: The 7 Weather Team would like to thank Dr. Chaudhry for taking the time out of his busy schedule to educate us a bit more on COVID-19. And for all of the frontline workers who are doing everything in their power to save lives on a daily basis, the 7 Weather Team thanks you from the bottom of our hearts. Your hard work and dedication does not go unnoticed. From the 7 Weather Team, I'm meteorologist Erica Delgado
4: the best app
0: from the best weather team is right here seven's hurricane tracker app
4: get the latest forecast models
0: my seven weather blog and of course seven's cone on your phone
4: it's yours free from the storm station seven news
0: welcome back we can see climate change taking a toll on many areas around the world from floods to fires and sky high record temperatures the american west is used to these threats but not as bad as it has been. Meteorologist Jessica Fernandez tells us it's not going to get any better.
4: Welcome to Weather or Not. I'm meteorologist Jessica Fernandez, and with me today I have Kelsey Malloy, a Ph.D. candidate in climate variability and climate dynamics from the University of Miami-Rosen Steel School. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Hi, Jessica. I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. All right, so let's jump right into it. We know that the West has endured a series of heat waves, as well as exceptional drought, wildfires, and low lake levels affecting the water supply in some areas. How much of this can we attribute to climate change?
2: Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question that a lot of people have been thinking about um, due to these recent events. So it does take months, if not years, to attribute single events like the heat wave to climate change. However, a lot of preliminary research does suggest that this kind of heat weave is 150 times more likely in today's climate. So this is already a rare event. We're talking one in a thousand year type of event. So this would only normally happen every five to 10 years. But a lot of research shows that this would have been virtually impossible if we're talking about pre-industrial times. So that would mean that global warming probably does have some type of effect on this type of heat, heat wave in the Pacific Northwest. There's a lot of research pointing to the fact that heat waves could become more frequent, last longer and become more intense. This is climate change kind of bringing more energy into the system. There's also a lot of research that shows that droughts become can become more extreme and more frequent. So in terms of the United States, there's a lot of research that soil moisture could also decrease in the next century um, in places like the Southwest. So drier places are already getting drier, which is really bad for, like you said, water supply and agriculture, anything like that. So yeah, there's a lot of science that points to increasing temperatures and decreasing soil moisture can lead to these more intense droughts. So what type of impacts could we see
4: across the West because of global warming?
2: The West Coast is susceptible to drought. So we can think of it getting hotter in places in the, along the West Coast. And so that can increase drought. But we can also think of soil moisture so that's decreasing and then we can think of the winter season so a lot of places in the west get their water supply from a long snow season in the future we can expect that that snow season that winter season will shorten and so that means that the west will get less of their water supply from the snow melt when we move into the spring season. So that's gonna be really bad for places that need the snow and the snow melt for their water supply, such as Las Vegas, Colorado, um, those mountainous regions. In the past few years, we have seen that a lot of those places in the West have seen that shorter snow season. And so a lot of their water supplies are shrinking for uh, the time of year where they don't normally get that uh, water, so in the summer. So having that shorter snow season is really, makes, makes the West more vulnerable. What would need
4: to happen in order to reverse all of that?
2: I think that our focus should be less on reversing because reversing is kind of out of the question where this has already be, kind of become a domino effect where the atmosphere is uptaking a lot of this carbon and it takes a while for this carbon and other types of um, greenhouse gases to decrease. They have a long lifespan in the atmosphere. So I think that we need to focus on mitigation. So that means slowing down our consumption of fossil fuels in order to slow down the progression of climate change. So if that means that we need to focus on policy changes or demanding changes in um, economics or things like that, that's what we really need to focus on is slowing down this progression rather than reversing it. If we stopped emitting greenhouse gases today, unfortunately global warming and climate change would still be occurring for several more decades, maybe even centuries. And that's because a lot of these greenhouse gases that we're emitting have really long lifespans, sometimes hundreds of years. So carbon dioxide can have a lifespan between 50 and hundreds of years. Um, other gases can even stay in the atmosphere for thousands of years. We need to avoid or limit some of our the worst effects of climate change by trying to reduce our fossil fuel consumption. That would be the best method, is focusing on this mitigation. So what
4: other effects could we see in the future due to climate change across the world? And when would
2: those changes be happening? Right, so we've already talked about heat waves and droughts possibly becoming more frequent, more intense, last longer. But there are other types of patterns such as precipitation, rainfall patterns that may change. So the general rule of thumb us climate scientists like to use is that drier places will become drier, wet places will become wetter. And so what that means in regards to the US is that places like the Midwest and Northeast could have heavier rainfall events. And then places like the West Coast, so California Southwest in general, they could have more intense droughts Um, also. Intense hurricanes is another thing that a lot of research is pointing to. So when we're heating the atmosphere, a lot of that energy goes into the oceans. And so this is fuel for events such as hurricanes as hurricanes move over warmer than normal waters, for example. And then another effect that's close to home is sea level rise. So when we're adding uh, heat to our atmosphere, we're melting, sea ice and land ice. And if that's being added to our oceans, that can contribute, at least by the end of the century, we're talking maybe between one to eight feet of global sea level rise, which could mean here in South Florida, more of those nuisance flooding events that you see um, during King tides or other type of sunny day tides or sunny day flooding, I should say. So in terms of South Florida, if we're talking about sea level rise, we are going to have to start thinking about long-term solutions. So there in, in Miami and, and Fort Lauderdale, there's a lot of talk about putting up seawalls, increasing our pumping infrastructure and things like that. But we have to remember that this is already happening. Our king tide flooding, and if you remember years like 2019, we saw, more than double the events we normally do um, in terms of flooding along um, just normal streets every day. So I think going forward, we have to think about how we can create better solutions in terms of mitigation and adaptation. And some of these solutions I would say are more short-sighted or short-term and we need to like focus more on how we can um, adapt to this a little bit more smartly in the long term, like thinking out to 2100 or in terms of Miami, maybe even 2050, so we gotta, we gotta think soon. <laughs> um, but I also wanna point out that another thing about South Florida is not just sea level rise, but we have to think about temperatures as well. So it, there's been a lot of research, a lot of observations that show that the minimum temperatures in South Florida have increased dramatically. So usually overnight temperatures are much lower and people can cool off. But in South Florida, we've seen that our temperatures are not dropping as much as they used to in the past. So those minimum temperatures are rising, which could be really dangerous for people who don't have the infrastructure for cooling down and could be just really bad for any type of other agriculture as well.
4: All right, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so
2: much for your time. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you too, Jessica. Anytime.
0: Thank you, Jessica. Next week on whether or not a marine life issue. Shark. Some are terrified of them and say there are just too many. Others say not so fast. Some fishermen may say they see a lot of sharks. More than they used to. Yes, we are definitely having evidence that sharks are recovering due to management, but not all sharks are recovering as fast as other species. Meteorologist Erica Delgado chums the water, hoping for a bite of the truth.
2: Plus, pillar coral was already rare on Florida reefs. Now biologists say it's extinct. The grim determination was
3: made recently, leading to ongoing rescue and conservation efforts. Next week on Whether or Not, we talk once again with Dr. Karen Neely from Nova Southeastern University in the Florida Keys to dive deeper on why Pillar Coral and coral reefs in general are in a state of decline.
0: Vivian Gonzalez has what we don't want to hear. That's in our next issue, which drops August 24th. If you have a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast or have a comment, please send me an email at pfarrow at wsvn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7weather, and of course, live on air at WSVN7. Thanks for joining us. Please tell your friends about us. We need all the listeners we can get. Until next time, I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrow.